Welcome back everyone to season two, episode three of the FPL scripts. This video and podcast is going to be the game week two podcast, and we're going to preview game week two right after game week one has effectively ended. We also just watched the European Super Cup game between City and Sevilla, which was a pretty terrible game of football, but insightful as well in terms of just seeing how City would line up post KDB. Uh, but just to go back to game week one and just recapping there. We had, of course, the KDB injury that happened during game week one, but for my team, that wasn't really a big impact. I had Pickford and Havertz, I think that were the biggest stinkers. Otherwise, I, I believe it was really a game week where a lot of people did well. Most people had some assists, some clean sheets, most players within five to seven points. And of course, we most of us at least had Erling Haaland as a captain. I did go for Pickford and Turner over Onana and Turner as well. That was one of the decisions where close to the deadline, I think they were close to... Um, similar levels of EV, and I just wanted to go for Shaw because I had the capacity in my team to sort of put him in. And I went for Pickford instead, just optimizing for the Pickford and Turner rotation, which, you know, we'll probably talk about that too when we talk about which keeper will start in gaming too. But then I also had Havertz as well. And I was actually on a Jao Pedro draft, and that's something I talked about in the previous episode where I was thinking about Jao Pedro and Odegaard. But before the game, week one deadline came around I was thinking about how I could get to Jackson with the Jao Pedro and Odegaard draft and I was finding it quite hard to do so I think Mark who on, on Twitter uh quite a famous FPL manager actually found a nice way to do it I would say where he went for someone like Martinez as opposed to Shaw whereas I, I'm holding three 5.5 defenders in my draft and instead I actually decided to go with Kai Havertz and that saved me $1 million in the bank, which gives me a little bit more flexibility with whatever transfer I do as a make-weight to getting Jackson as well. Yeah, I think, as you said, all of us probably had more than a decent game week. I scored 79 points and I had the same midfield as you did. We spoke about that in last week's pod as well. I think the differences were I had Watkins. Uh, instead of Joao Pedro and when Joao Pedro got the penalty it didn't surprise me one bit because as I had said last week I fully believe his minutes to be good and if he's going to be on penalties he was always a good pick and I'm glad it came to fruition in the sense because if I were to pick him later in the season I have a good thought process behind that and also you know Nana is just the goat so it was Quite funny to see the meltdown on Twitter when Onana ended up on 9 points. If it, it had ended in a nil-nil draw, he would have had even more points because I believe he was on 3 bonus points as well. But apart from that, I think one mistake I made was I went to James over Botman. Even though Botman had more EV simply because I believed Watkins would erase the clean sheet. He did help erase the clean sheet but at the same time Botman got an assist and that's what you get for going against EV. And being the X-Mins fiend that I am, I think I should have started with Chilwell instead of James. So a couple of minor mistakes to start the season, nothing critical and uh, I think Onana helped me paper over the cracks, if you will, with all the positive variants and helped uh, Shaw owners as well indirectly, uh, even though Shaw got a yellow card, he was quite close to getting one bonus point, which again shows his uh, creative output and he basically needs one attacking return to be clear of I think everyone. When it comes to bonus points so a good game week one uh looking forward to game week two yeah i agree i mean as a show owner i was secretly hoping that we would keep the clean sheet because i had chill out on my bench and i didn't really want to do it yes one point was yeah shown. and also uh one thing to mention as uh, you've pointed out which is that united defense was less than 100 percent eo which meant that everyone was happy 
Yeah. Except I think Martinez owners who were desperately yeah, unlucky, I think. But also I think it was quite a suboptimal choice. They were trying to get away with something with substituting Martinez uh, for Onana or Shaw. Uh, the outcome was extremely unlucky. I, I agree that they should not have been that heavily punished. And as a United fan, I am fearful as to what the future is if Martinez is indeed injured as Varan confirmed. So long-term defensive prospects for United don't look good. But before we move on to this week's topics, one thing that we thought we should mention is that review MD and HD ranks have gone back to being calculated on actual minutes rather than X minutes. I think it is quite nice. Uh, I'm sure obviously there's going to be some situations where some managers will feel a little bit hard done by the change, such as, for example, when you pick Martinez, like like we just said. Yeah, exactly. Um, but exactly. I do think it's a slightly more positive change going forward, uh, just recognizing, of course, that there will be noise. Yeah, and anecdotal evidence is never enough, but mm-hmm. I think this was a good, good example to just illustrate how mints should help people that want to gamble on someone's minutes. Indeed. Because when you were gambling on people's X-mints last season, it didn't matter because if they had less X-mints at the deadline, you would not get the MD that you perhaps deserved. Yeah, correct. So and all in actually, all... I think if just yeah. to touch on this topic, because if we talk about leaks and Chase's uh, Twitter posts, that's a very good example of that because it might be the case that you know review post uh, or pre-deadline would not have completely adjusted to the leak that we got and ultimately the EV dramatically changes if you let's say dropped um, Saka's minutes last season when he had an illness that that sort of Andy let us know about and and a similar situation here with Gabriel potentially not being within the lineup in game week one so those sort of situations I think getting rewarded for being on the deadline even though that's the unfortunate reality of FPL uh, I think just creates a better picture in terms of evaluating your decisions. Also makes Chase's point during our pod even more relevant which is that if you're not able to dedicate that much amount of time and energy you should think up twice Mm. before signing up for another season because it's going to be like this for all 38 weeks I presume. Maybe there are some weeks where uh, there isn't enough time to get leaks especially during Christmas time but other than that, I think we are going to be in this kind of leaked lineup grind every single week. Maybe not this week because the first game is uh, Nottingham Forest versus Sheffield United. And I don't think we care about anything pretty much. We just move forwards towards some of the topics for this game week. So we did talk about KDB's injury, which happened in game week one. And just following up from the Super Cup as well, we did see City line up with the team with uh, Palmer actually being inserted into it and Alvarez actually on the bench. So an interesting sort of situation there when we talk about X-Men's once again and, and sort of forecasting into the future, what would happen in a KDB-less landscape. And I, and I do think it, it should directly benefit Foden and Alvarez, but we also have to recognize that City might uh, tap into the market as well. Generally, you still have some depth in terms of Grealish, as I said, which led to the Alvarez benching. Because actually when KDB was taken off, I believe I saw Alvarez on the left in the Burnley game. And of course, those are delicious minutes to sort of compete with and that's an interesting sort of situation to think about how you plan some of your solves going forwards how would you sort of visualize Foden and Alvarez minutes yourself when we talk about these changes to lineups they are helping us to predict the the minutes of these players moving forward which is the key thing here we are less concerned about we are concerned about tactical nuances but less so for FPL as a football fan, sure, you can get it to them. But for FPL, we are concerned as to which player is likeliest to start. And if, for example, Alvarez, because he started to creep up into 
for example sensitivity analysis for game week 2 if he starts to show up as a transfer out from either jackson or watkins you have to also consider the fact that his minutes at number 8 might not be that good so it's all contextualized data that you need to consider and also the center backs as well so for example diash and stones were on the bench guardiol played left back ake played center back and was the furthest behind of all the city players if you look at their average positions in the game and as you said akanji played the stones role so it's quite flexible it seems at the at this moment and laporte may be off to saudi arabia as well so until the dust settles on september 1st i'm I, personally i'm going to stay away from city defense i don't know about you yeah i mean i'm i'm quite tempted by both foden and alvarez just because with jao pedro and money in the bank he's quite an obvious transfer I actually have the perfect mm. money to go there. At the same time, I have someone at Havertz's position at 7.5 where Foden could be interesting if you dock his minutes up. And mm. the interesting thing too is I'm seeing Foden and Alvarez on a couple more set pieces. So that's going to help, of course, with their EV. I think one thing to say for Alvarez is you still need to visualize him being a sub for Haaland because that's very helpful. It could probably also lead to penalties as well. Mm. And he's a definite player where even if he's not going to be on anything higher than 70x mins, I'm sure he could still pop up in sensitivity analysis, as you say, and become optimal for some players. And so for that reason, I think it's worth thinking about players like Alvarez and players like Foden. Maybe less so for Foden because there seems to be much more depth in the midfield. But particularly if, let's say, you're on a Jao Pedro structure and you don't have the security of being able to go down from someone like Watkins and instead you're maybe looking to push away from Jao Pedro, I think Alvarez is, is an interesting landing spot, particularly for those who already have maybe slightly deeper benches as well so that that could allow for a, a bit of rotation with Alvarez. But I agree with the defense. It's very tough because even when you think about Akanji playing the Stones role, ultimately this is what Rico Lewis did in the Burnley game, right? Replacing yeah. Stones and Stones and Diaz are m more than likely to come back in game week two. So that already throws into a lot of doubt the minutes for a lot of players. And I mean, Walker also still exists. So it's very tough. And I think the defense is something I'm still keen to avoid. Potentially, I think we may have overestimated the, the news that we were reacting to with Ederson, but I think we can only react to that probably in six to eight gaming's time when we realize it was a mistake or not. On that note, we can move on to the second best team in the league, which is Arsenal and the whole situation with the centre-backs. Without going into anything related to the leaks themselves, we can just talk about what the timber injury means for Gabriel. Uh, so, do you, what do you foresee happening? Do you think that Zinchenko comes back into left-back and White keeps playing centre-back with Tomiasu right-back? Or do you foresee Gabriel coming back and then Ben White going back to right-back? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think Arteta said that the lineup that they had for Donning Forest was was tactical, and he sort of referenced the Christmas tree as well. Um, yeah. Ultimately, whether you interpret that to be just sort of a symptom of how Arsenal plan to play versus five backs, which drop quite deep and, and sort of park like that, or this is how he plans to play versus teams that sit deep in general is an interesting one. I, I, I would say it's probably a little bit more specific than that and i do think if you're let's say a, a gabriel owner i wouldn't overreact too much but i i think the the argument that is sort of that oh timber is injured and gabriel is going to get good minutes again is also false so you have to sort of think about those two things just be open to the fact that clearly saliva is the most nailed player right now even though we had some news about how he's not 100% fit. I think that's that's just a, a player talk about how he's not at his peak fitness. Uh, it doesn't really mean anything, yeah. mean anything yeah. beyond that. Yeah. And so going back to the Gabriel versus Timber point, 
We saw in the game that, as you said, Tomiyasu came in for Timber. And, and so, of course, there will be some situations where you have Partey continuing to drop between right back and sort of right defensive mid. And then also you have Tomiyasu effectively playing left back, which could, of, of course, be occupied by someone like Zinchenko when he's fully fit. I think the only reason why he hasn't been within the team is probably because he hasn't had a good preseason. And a good indication of how important that is is someone like James, of course, was just taken off at 80 minutes. We were all surprised, but he, he already had a decent preseason. So players do need to get back into full fitness and Arsenal do still have enough depth to sort of cover in the meantime. I, I think Gabriel will play a lot of games, particularly even versus Crystal Palace. That's sort of my early read into it. I, I don't want to overreact into thinking Gabriel certainly not part of uh, any sort of first team lineup for Arsenal. But as I said, you only really want Gabriel if he's nailed. And if you're holding on to Gabriel, I'd probably just roll and then just react to in gaming three where you might have to just make a move around it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone needs to overreact even if Gabriel goes down in price. I understand that neither of us are in the same situation. So maybe it's difficult for us to place ourselves in their shoes. But what we can say with certainty is that the Crystal Palace game is worth giving a go. And if you see that Gabriel has not started even that game, then maybe it's a different conversation because the uncertainty increases even more. As you said, he might still end up playing the majority of the Premier League games. And we don't, we can't forget that they also are in the Champions League now after a long, long time. So we don't necessarily know what centre-back partnerships are going to be played throughout like Premier League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup and the Champions League. So... It's quite an open-ended question right now. For me, it's a hold and it's it's a wait and see, essentially, for game week three. Or game week four, maybe even, when they play United and you can just get rid of whichever Arsenal defender you want. Because that is my plan, to get rid of Saliba for game week four, for example. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. I think a lot of people are looking at Estupian or Saliba. And obviously, if you're holding on to Gabriel then, I mean, that's an easier transfer to make, actually, at that point. You could probably keep Estupian for game week six. I do like yeah, that. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Before we move on to the midfielders, there's one thing that we need to briefly talk about, which is if people, the majority of the people that own Matt Turner for game week two have another goalkeeper who is their primary goalkeeper, Onana, beat Onana, beat Pickford, some people have Leno, some people have Johnston. Would you recommend playing any of these primary goalkeepers over Turner? Yeah, I mean, I think for all the 4.5s, absolutely not. For Onana and Ederson, there's an argument because I think Ederson actually has the same EV as Turner. For Onana, you're 0.3 EV off, but sure, maybe some people would like to think that he can sort of repeat his heroics again. I, I would just point out that Nottingham Forest looked pretty good defensively versus Arsenal, at least in terms yeah. of actually reducing XG. It's interesting to talk about when you drop EV on keepers because I would say part of the argument with keepers too is that maybe models aren't perfect with uh, goalkeepers and I can kind of understand someone who wants to play their their first team goalkeeper like Onana in this situation I mean how do you feel as an Onana owner yourself no I'm definitely going to bench him but you're absolutely right it is a much tougher decision if it is someone like Onana or Ederson and also on the modeling goalkeepers front you're also right because I myself have found it the most difficult to model goalkeepers I've always modeled them separately from any of the outfield players uh, for any of the fantasy games. So I am more likely to trust maybe the fixture itself and also the EV in this case mm -hmm. does favor Turner. So yeah. all in all, I think it's an easy decision to make. I think if it were Ederson, it is the toughest decision out of all the goalkeepers. And I listen, but we're not going to talk about that because 
I don't think anyone really wants Alisson at this point. Although he was the most captain goalkeeper last week, so you know we might be in for a surprise if he keeps a clean sheet. If we turn to midfielders for next week, we essentially have two price brackets. We have those that are seven plus, like seven, seven point five, eight, eight point fives. And then we have those that are 6.5 and below. And we have a lot of these players that fit these categories. So if we talk about, let's say, moving to Madison or Richarlison from someone like Bruno or Havertz or Odegaard, what are your initial thoughts? Should we wait for this week because first play United and then look into things for game week three? 100%. It's funny how the landscape is for the midfielders because really with exception to someone like Diaby, I, or even maybe Liverpool ones, there aren't many midfielders this week who have a good fixture. So Madison, Richardson, I would include within that where they have poor fixtures. And because Arsenal and United midfielders themselves have such a good game week three that I think already sort of exceeds what you would get from Madison, Richardson, those two game weeks. It's it's very easy to just hold. I can understand the one to, to move away from someone like Havertz where you feel like he's a bit more of a short-term punt. Because the way I see mm. Havertz as a Havertz owner is is he still might have to be a transfer in game week three if, let's say, Jesus has come back. Because part of the punt with Havertz is him having slightly higher X-mins and slightly better positions than usual, particularly if he has minutes in the nine, which he did in the previous game. Whereas with Bruno and Odegaard, I'm not going to say that they're easy transfers to make to Madison Richarlison at all. Ultimately, we're a sort of group of people, I suppose, that wouldn't necessarily overreact to Madison's great haul. Um, even though the second assist was very, oh my goodness, I but um, you know, I won't won't delve too much into that. But but simply put, I would probably only make these moves in game week four, and that's the way I'm seeing it too. And even someone that we haven't mentioned so far with Foden, or I mean, someone that we mentioned Hmm. earlier with Foden, he's also got a very good fixture in game week four, and the EV for Arsenal and United midfielders are so much better in game week three, where it just doesn't make sense to to move out of the punt unless. As I said, you're in the Havertz situation. You feel like his time is due in terms of the the sort of minutes that you're uh, assigning to him and, and, and the baseline EV that he's sort of enjoying a little bit of inflation from. Absolutely. And I think one more point we have to mention, which is that we could not react to the news that apparently AD and Kitty had trained like a beast, which is why <laughs> Arteta decided to go for him, which is what Arteta said in his post-match uh, press conference. Yeah. And stuff like that is completely arbitrary. I mean, what are we supposed to do? We mm-hmm. punted on the fact that Havertz could have some minutes as a number nine, but then someone decides to show up to training with the aim of playing the next game and they get to play the next game. So it is what it is. We knew that his X-Men's were still pretty good and he ended up playing 98 minutes. So I suppose that's a win for us, but it was a dire watch, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And we just have to hope that things improve. And as for the 6.5 and below mids, the one conundrum that both you and I, you especially and uh, I recently have unearthed or maybe we have talked more about it is why is Mitoma so low on EV? It is astonishing to see him that low on the rung on the EV ladder. Uh, even among midfielders that are 6.5 and less. Uh, someone you, you mentioned that someone like Mason Mount even has more EV than him, even though he's much more expensive. So how, how yeah. do you, we explain something like that? I, I really can't because, I mean, I, I probably only look into numbers like a, a player's XG, their XGA, and then have a look at their team strengths. And generally, I, I look game to game as well and try to see if there's a slight trend, you know, between, let's say, this portion of seven games versus this portion of seven games. And to me, 
to the end of last season, Matoma's underlying data actually progressively improved. So it is very odd to see Matoma in March, even with good X-Mins, when you adjust them yourself with such low uh, EV totals, you know, very, very far away from other popular 6.5 picks. It, it's quite hard to explain. And these are one of the instances where I would say I don't really have the reason or answer as to why that is. It's very interesting because when I, whenever I've looked at Matoma and March's numbers, they're incredible. So the fact that when they have good X-Men's, it's a bit of a conundrum for sure. Yeah, and also it's more about not explaining why their EV is low, but rather reacting to mm -hmm. their low EV. And as you said, one of the solutions is maybe you do an ensemble of models or maybe you have to consider factors that you think matter more for me personally because i cannot separate out which factors are more important when i would rather just stick to what review says mm -hmm. and if for example i see an anomaly like mitoma i am happy to just ignore him because i have ev sources that will get me similar ev even if i do okay. consider his ev to be more than what review says i don't think it's going to be more than someone like mbomo or even musa diaby who we are going to talk about next and who really impressed, uh, I think, everyone in the Newcastle Aston Villa game. So, uh, you had some thoughts about Diaby. So, do you think you will move to him later on in the season? I did sort of select him as a as a once to watch on my on my thread on six point five minutes. But his mm. experience just immediately looked very good. And I would say on review, when I look at the six point five minutes, the ones that seem to be probably mischaracterized the most are Diaby and Eze. I think Eze is very clearly like an 88-minute player. Maybe there's a, a transfer probability book caked in there somehow that I'm not looking at just yet for Eze. But as far as Diaby, with the injuries that they have, and I think they didn't also get Jack Harrison either, that really should give him more than enough of an ability to have at least 80 X-Men. Mm. And so that already puts him you know, within the top three four 6.5s, which I think is something that we probably wouldn't have expected given Aston Villa's fixtures. But now that that Newcastle game is coming gone, that's even more so the case. So Diaby is someone that I would say makes sense if you are really in desperate need of a transfer for this week. But if you're, let's say, someone who's in the mind of rolling, which a lot of us are, then it actually feels like the next best window to get Diaby is a little bit later. I don't know how you feel about that. No, as a Watkins owner, I have no interest mm -hmm. in yeah, moving to DIB just now. But as you said, when the fixtures are prime and let's say there is a window before the wildcard, because I don't know when I'm going to play the wildcard as of today. Right. I can't see any particular window. I might just end up playing it closer to the deadline for when you can play the wildcard, but it's up in the air as of now. We also know that City is blanking for the Club World Cup, so there are some opportunities maybe before that to kind of wildcard and build a team that is Holland less for the time being and then get back into Holland but he did impress us a lot in game week one and apart from that his numbers in Bundesliga have been stellar we just hope that he is more of Holland than a Sancho so we can have more options for FPL and I think that's that's all for the midfielder segment a lot of us are Salah less, but uh, he is very, very clearly the best captaincy this week, yeah. particularly after Haaland just put in another 90-minute shift in the Super Cup. Haaland yeah. is still going to be my captain this week just because I don't have Salah. And it, it, it's an interesting situation because Trent, of course, is the next best captain for review, but how many of us really own Trent in our teams? So actually, you're now looking at Saka, who is far, far short of Holland in terms of 0 0.8 EV. And I, I still can't see myself 
doing anything but a Holland captaincy this week. I mean, do you think there's there's capacity to maybe even look at someone else that we haven't discussed? No, definitely not. If I owned Salah this week, I would definitely captain him even after I was burned by Holland last season. Mm-hmm. Multiple times this week, it is so clear. I mean, Salah is so clear of anyone else as a captaincy option. And his performance against Chelsea was just frightening. I think this is the first time in six seasons that I haven't started with Salah in game week one. And it was not a pleasant watch at all. The time he ate the post, his marginally offside goal, even his assist. I mean, he's just taken it to a whole new level when it comes to assisting these days. I think for the past few seasons even. So... All in all, I'm going to be extremely scared of Salah captaincy for next week. But because we've planned for a long-term eight-week window, for example, I I don't regret going for no Salah at all. And I think you're the same in that regard. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, when you do your solves, even six game weeks, as short as it really should be, I would say, uh, unless you're planning an even earlier wild card, that... EV hit that you're losing effectively for not owning Salah and not captaining in gaming two would is already accounted for. So I'm a manager who understandably thinks that gaming two is just going to be bad. Um, yeah. I'm happy to move on really to gaming three where I'll, I will be making transfers and hopefully I'll, I'll get some immediate EV gain as well. So that's sort of how I feel about gaming two. It's kind of like holding. Absolutely. I think both of us are going to be rolling unless we get some unexpected news before the deadline. And on that note, hope everyone has a good game week two and see you next week. Absolutely. See you guys next week.